2: Hello and welcome to Went to Mo King's Meadow, the show that, like the WSL, is back. Uh, Champions Chelsea returned on to action, hosting Tottenham Hotspur on the opening weekend, starting the 2023-2024 season at Stamford Bridge. There'll uh, be more on that later. Uh, new signings me official and, I still don't know how to pronounce her first name, Nuskan. Sirka. Sirka. I'm not going to get that. <laughs> I'm guessing that's like meant to be Sophie, isn't it? If we translate it to English. I'm going to call her Sophie, Sophie Nuskin, uh, were given their debuts, and it was the foreman who got Chelsea up and running, heading home with delightful Neve Charles-Cross. In the second half, Charles again turned provider, this time for Lauren James, after Guru Reitman's goal hadn't been given by the officials, despite the ball clearly being over the line. Uh, Spurs pulled one back through Marta Thomas in the 76th minute. The ex-United striker was quickest to react as the ball got caught under the feet of Ciaramizovic in the Chelsea goal to set up. What was a nervier ending than the game than it perhaps should have been? Uh, Chelsea hung on for their first opening day win since 2019 against Tottenham at Stamford Bridge, ironically. And all things said and done, they will be pleased with how they shaked up and how strong the squad looks this season. A tougher task awaits next weekend, but for now we can bask in the glory of an opening weekend win. Uh, and the title of the show tonight, the Went to Mo Kings Melo episode number 106, is opening weekend win. Quite simple for you. Uh, and now... Obviously, no. It's not just me because you've heard someone else's voice. Uh, I am not joined by Dane or Jane for the first one of the season. Luckily, we've got reinforcements in the form of Sophie Spittle. Sophie, good to see you again. How are you doing?
3: Yeah, good. Thank you. Good to see you too. Start of a new season. Looking forward to
2: it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are also going to be joined by Matt uh, Ball from Worldwide Chelsea. He's not with us yet. Um, he's going to be with us in a few minutes. So before we get into part one. Uh, we'll go but so just in, in general how was your your day on sunday at the game
3: yeah it was good um i sat in the matthew Hiding lower so a long time since i sat there um not too near the front but not far enough back for my liking um we had a few rowdy um men's chelsea fans behind us which i think Interesting enough, a few people around me were quite uncomfortable with their sort of like the way they they were they they sort of like were. I used to it having obviously go to a lot of the men's games, but a few of the, the women's only fans were a bit uncomfortable about sort of like the some of the the shouting and the swearing that were were that they were doing, um, which I thought was quite an interesting um well, I don't know what the word is, but we want to attract more fans in, and some of them will be more like that and it's an interesting dynamic as to, to whether the, the the women's football is ready for supporters like that to be uh, to be watching, I think.
2: Yeah, well I was in the East Lower near the dugout and there were complaints around me when they booed the Tottenham player taking the corner uh from the Matthew Arden end. and when they tried to do stand up evoke Tottenham. Uh it didn't catch on either and there was complaints about that. So yeah, it's an interesting sort of clash of dynamics where that is a normal song for the men's game when you're playing Tottenham.
3: That game really, that that chant took off a lot in the Matthew Harding lower. It was really it, four or five times and everyone around us stood up as well. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not against that personally. Um, no, ditto. So. Um, although we like Drew Spence and Bethany England, but we'll let those two slide uh, for now. Um, but yeah, we'll get on to that in part two when we're talking about... Um, Stafford Bridge and, and Chelsea women uh, in general. Uh, now, remember, you can listen to the show live every Tuesday at 8pm and join in with the show via the live chat page. You can do that by heading to Mixler, that's m i x l r dot com, and searching for uh, Went to Mo Kings Meadow. Uh, and if you're in there listening live, you can type in a comment in the box and I can read it out uh, as we go. Um, and that will be over the course of the season. I know we've been away for quite a while. Uh, so people probably have to practice getting back into Mixler. Um, and on the show tonight, talking with the show, uh, in part one, we're going to take a look at that win over Tottenham, uh, reflect on the starting line-up performances of the debutantes and the return of Frank Kirby. And in part two, we're going to look at the Stanford Bridge experience and what needs to be done by the club if they're going to improve on the sub-15,000 attendance. They're attractive for this one, and we're going to do all that right after this. And then Chelsea lined up for this one in what I think was a 3 4 2 1 formation with Satura which in goal, a uh, back three of Maren Mielder, Millie Bright, and Jess Carter. You uh, had a written and Neve Charles were deployed as full uh, wing backs, sorry, rather than full backs, uh, with Nuskin and Sophie Ingle paired in the midfield, uh, Guru Wright and Lauren James. Supported me, official in you know, attack. Uh, Emma Hayes mo- made full use of our available substitutions, with Frank Kirby and Melanie Loopholes replacing Rick and and Liskin respectively in the seventy seventh minute. Uh, sorry, in the seventy seventh minute, Ashley Lawrence and Jesse Fleming replaced Lauren James and Guru Wrighton. And then in the eighty fourth minute, Yelena Chankovic came on for Marin Miola. Uh, that left Anne Kapchenberger, and Nick Nowan, Eve Perese and Kellie Buchanan as the unused substitutes. Uh, Stats wise, Chelsea had fifty six percent possession. Twenty-one shots, twelve on target, four corners, and six fouls. Two Tottenham's, forty-four percent possession, fifteen shots, eleven on target, three corners, and eight fouls. Um, uh, so for the lineup, I suppose was impossible to guess because we haven't seen the team since that Roma friendly a month ago. Uh, the other two preseason games we've no Arsenal and Aston Villa behind closed doors, so we don't know even who played. Uh, so guessing this one was a bit wild. But what did you make of the team when it came out?
3: I didn't really know what to think. I was surprised. Um, Surprised to see Marin in the team, but pleased for her. Um, Surprised that Nuskins was in the team over Lurpoles, considering that Nuskins went away with Germany and Lurpoles didn't. Um, And then I wasn't surprised that Sam wasn't anywhere near. I, I sort of was thinking towards the end of last season that I don't think we'll see a lot of Sam the first part of the season, even if she'd had a very good World Cup, I think she still would have had a World Cup hangover. Um, and then I was really surprised to see JRK on the pitch as well. So um, yeah, interesting. I think a lot of it was down to who was the fittest, who was the the rare, the most ready to play. Um, with probably maybe a, a, what you would perceive to be a stronger team to be to be ready for City next weekend.
2: Yeah, I suppose it was a. Sort of a good mix of people that played well at the World Cup. uh Muzovic getting the starting goal. Uh, Millie Bright, obviously, Jess Carter going the full way in the tournament. Uh, Rick Cameron was a good performer in the World Cup. And then the likes of Neve Charles who didn't get that many minutes. Sophie Ingle who didn't obviously go to the World Cup with Wales. Uh, Wrighton, of course, uh, not doing too well with Norway. Lauren James, you know, the star of the World Cup, which we should say. And as you said, so much riding on Sam Kerr in that World Cup, uh, being in Australia and New Zealand. Um, it's going to take a few weeks, I think, before we see her maybe starting a game. But, you know, the signings that, that Emma's made means that we don't need to rely on her as much as perhaps we did last season. And nothing shows more than that, than the than the subs that Emma made, uh, Sophie. You know, just the five names, uh, Frank Kirby, Melly Leopold's, Jesse Fleming, Ashley Lawrence and Yulena Chankovich. You know, five players that could be starting for probably every team in the WSL, give or take maybe one or two. But, you know, outside of probably the top three, they start for every one of the teams below them, definitely. Um, and then just based on the strengths of the other squads, which players probably don't start, but you know, that is exciting for, for us as Chelsea fans that we can have that much strength to come on the pitch when we're winning or when we're losing.
3: And then when you consider that Sam Kerr, Aaron Cuthbert and Kat Macario weren't even in the squad, that's, um, that's some some strength in depth we've got there when everybody's fit. Whether everybody stays fit for the whole season is another question, isn't it? So, Which is obviously what Emma's planning for, to make sure we've got a strong team regardless of who's fit.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of talk, not from us because we weren't recording podcasts, but other places about Chelsea's hopes and aspirations this season, a lot of people suggesting that the league isn't a focus because of the Champions League. Uh As always, Chelsea wants to win the Champions League, we know that. But given those signings and what we just mentioned about the subs and the players you've mentioned not even in the squad, um would you say it's a disappointment if Chelsea don't win every domestic trophy, at least this season? I wouldn't say it's a
3: disappointment, but I think It'll be interesting to see how we get on against the teams that haven't got Champions League football. So Arsenal and Man City, all they can concentrate on is the league. So it didn't work too well for Arsenal at the weekend. Um, And we'll see what what City do against us at the weekend. Um, I don't think it'll be a disappointment, as I said. I think it will be the level of expectation around us um, if we can keep everybody fit. But I think the priority, although nobody will admit it, will be the Champions League. But there's still an element of luck in that. So you can't ignore the league because if the risk is you ignore the league, you finish fourth and you don't qualify for the Champions League next year or even third. And you have to go through those stupid qualifiers. So I think we have to prioritise the league as well as the Champions League in order to make sure that we don't have to do, we qualify next year and or we don't finish third and have to go through the qualifiers that Arsenal did this year.
2: Yeah, well, this is Chelsea, isn't it? So, you know, win at all costs is always uh, the motto. Uh, Now, I want to talk about probably the biggest call in terms of selections that Emma would have made for this game, and that was in goal. Obviously, against Roma, as we mentioned, each goalkeeper, uh, Muzovic and Katzenberger, played a half each. Uh, We don't know who played in the other two friendlies. Obviously, we know Hannah Hampton stuck around and uh, Nicky Everard's gone out on loan. Um, So, that position really was... And still is up in the air, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I, I was surprised. I wasn't surprised to see cheerer start. Um, for me, the more interesting game will be Sunday. Who starts against Man City? If it's still cheerer, then that I think that could signify a, a changing of the guard. If AKB comes back in, then we're back to, is there an, actually a number one? And is she just going to choose a different goalkeeper for a different type of game that we're playing?
2: yeah that's going to be the big obviously the one to look for ac- across the season i think but back to to Chira's performance actually on on sunday she made for me a string of you know world class saves uh, in the game uh, there was one that was going in the top corner that was i was right behind and you couldn't see her until the last second and she she tipped it wide um but again a, a lot of discourse about her performance based on you know the the tottenham goal it was at the other end to where you were obviously but what did you make of it at the time and have you watched it back and have your thoughts changed at all
3: i sort of thought oh that's a good save and then she sort of obviously lost it so i sort of turned to my neighbor and said should she have kept hold of that because we couldn't really see and i didn't realize she got it stuck under a foot and then when i've seen the replay and realized she got under got it stuck under a foot the question is still there should she have kept hold of it but it was a very good save in the first place um, and was it bad luck or was she just trying to do something a bit odd with her foot? And on another game, you might not have had a striker like Martha Thomas sort of pounding down and and, and the chance w- wouldn't have been created. So I think it's very harsh to determine her performance on that one goal that was conceded, because as you say, she made a number of great saves. She was in the right place when Tottenham were sending shots in. She came for crosses. Um I think overall she had a good performance. I know goalkeepers are judged on one mistake, which always seems harsh, because strikers aren't judged if they miss a goal. Um, but I think overall she had a good performance, and I wouldn't be disappointed if she started against City, but equally I wouldn't be disappointed if AKB did. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I played in goal, not obviously to a very good level, but I always defend my goalkeepers, because uh, I know how difficult it is. And especially on, on social media, because the replay was just to show the ball under her feet in slow motion. And it looks it looks horrible because it's in slow motion. It looks like she's lost control of the ball completely. Um, I think she makes a very good save. Obviously, the one thing you're taught as a young goalkeeper is to push the ball away from goal. I don't think there's enough time for her to adjust to the way her body is. I mean, it hits the inside of her palm rather than her fingertips to save it in the first place. As you said, it, it was a very good save to stop it in the first place. And I always say... You know, if the striker's there, where's my defenders? They should be doing exactly the same as a centre forward and clearing and, it. And, and as you said, that to agree with you, if whoever starts on Sunday has my backing, I think we're very blessed to have two great goalkeepers. And Hannah, I know less about, but you know, one with great potential. And I, I do wonder if we will see her this season at all and, and when it will be. Uh, but you know, a position that we are blessed in. And um, for me, you know, I included her in my player of the match uh, poll. Um, I think she was that important, and I think just around the errors taken away from um, their actual overall performance, which is a, which is a shame because it was as we as we both said, um, fan, fantastic. Um, moving on to the
3: it's probably probably playing her on the back of her World Cup performances and the confidence she's going to have got from that, she's going to want to keep her confidence high, and by dropping her and playing AKB. You, her confidence is going to take a dent and then her performances are going to drop so I think that's probably some of the reasoning behind it as well is that if you've got a keeper that's playing well you keep playing them don't you So,
2: yeah absolutely it's what is similar to a striker in many ways isn't it you want that um, confidence rolling and the way to do that was probably to start her against Roma as you did and then the other two games we don't know about but starting her at Stamford Bridge against Tottenham uh Emma Hayes rarely makes wrong decisions, uh, as you'll if you follow Chelsea women, you'll know about. If you've just started to follow Chelsea women, you will learn to find out about. And I think if you're questioning her decision to do that based on your know, one moment, uh, you haven't really watched the game in full. Uh, I would say. Um, now, before I want to get onto the next subject, I want to talk about, which is the setup of the team. Uh, I will take this opportunity to welcome. Uh, Matt to the podcast, who's joining us uh, live from work um, after a busy day. Uh, so, Matt, thanks for giving up your time. Good to see you. No worries. Happy to be on,
4: uh, even if it is 20 minutes late than I was supposed to be on. But when when you're dealing with medical patients, it's not, never you're never on time.
2: You usually I'm. Uh, so I'm quite pleased someone else is late this week. Thanks um, yes. to hate you off me. Um, now, Matt, we were just talking uh, before you joined about uh, Satura's performance. So, Before we wrap that bit up, I'll let you say what you want to say about her performance and her selection.
4: Yeah, I mean, I thought generally overall she had a very good game. Um, There were a lot of um, chances that Tottenham had that she's made very good saves, almost like how she was in the World Cup. Um, But unfortunately, with goalkeepers, you always get remembered for the error, which, to be fair, was a good save initially, and it's just spilled out. I think at times you can say it's a little bit unlucky. Um, sometimes when it spills out, it works out well for you. And sometimes it just gets trapped under your feet like um, Mucevic was. And unfortunately, it comes with an error. Um, I do think there's obviously more pressure on Z this year, just because there is now for, well four goalkeepers effectively on the books. And there is that pressure of who will be Chelsea's number one going forward in the next couple of seasons. Um, so, I think she's got to just take it on the chin. She's made the mistake. It's not cost us three points. Um, and she's just got to move into the next game, um, should she be selected, um, and prove to Emma why she's staying
2: in the number one spot. And almost like you was listening to the show, Matt. Perfectly what we were saying uh, before you joined us. Um, now moving away from the goalkeeper, Sophie, um, as you said, the selection, when it came out, you're sort of wondering where these players fit together uh, and what sort of puzzle piece that Emma's putting together. And it, it was sort of a 3-4-2-1 uh, in possession. Out of possession was a bit more flexible with uh, Neve sometimes dropping in. But the, the problem it created for me was uh, Drew Spence, actually, um, I thought was one of the best players on the pitch in the first half, especially, picking up the ball in the pockets. And where I was right next to the bench, You Neve know, was saying to them, you know, I can't be in two places at once you want me here, but she's picking up the ball there. I think they really struggled to solve that. And that is why Tottenham had more shots on target than anyone else against Chelsea uh, for a number of seasons now.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's what I was sort of thinking at the time. I was saying that we were being outnumbered in midfield and Drew Spence was running the game um, because nobody was, she was that spare midfielder. Um, the way we were set up Um and yeah, I agree. We all know what Drew Spence can do if you give her the time and the space. And that's exactly what we were giving her. Um, we seem to sort of change it around. Probably, I don't know. Just trying to think of the timing. Slightly before the end of the first half, I think she um, she, she sort of lost, lost the time and space. And definitely in the second half. Although she did manage to get herself booked, which might have been something to do with it as well. Um, as I said to my neighbour, we all love it when she did that for Chelsea, but we don't like it when she does it for us against us.
2: Yeah, I think I think it was mainly Ingall that they sort of pulled out from the midfield just to sit where that space was and to cover it and allow, you know, Neve to do what she went on and done. But I just want to touch, Matt, on Andrew Spence because she's a player that, you know, I'll probably hold my hands up and say I didn't appreciate her much at, at, at Chelsea because obviously she didn't get really the chance to play. But seeing her play against us for Tottenham, you know, I'm thinking, you know, how did she get into the team? Because she, you know, she really run that first half of Tottenham and caused us you know, so many problems. We looked like we've done a clue what to do.
4: Yeah. I mean, it just, it just proves the testament of how good of a squad Chelsea women is um, and has been over the years that someone like a Drew Spence who will go to Tottenham, um, all right, Tottenham aren't the best team in the world right now, but she can come and just absolutely own the team and run it by herself. Um, I think Drew Spence, I always respected that she didn't kick up a fuss for not getting the minutes she probably deserved. Um, and whenever she did play, I feel, I thought she always put in a shift. Um, obviously, as Sophie said, you don't want it when it's against you, and especially when it's in a Tottenham shirt. But um, we, as I said, we got the result anyway, so we can ju- we can at least just praise a Drew Spence performance without it actually
2: costing us anything at all, unlike uh, another North London club, which dropped points this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, Sophie, on on the flip side of that, where it, it made space for Drew, that first goal showed exactly what we were, we, we were trying to do ourselves, which was have Wright and James close to me official and get that you know, central area quite compact and then leave the space for the wing-backs wing on the side. And they've got down the left-hand side a great cross in and a great header by, by Mia Uh You know, a great goal for her on, on, on a debut. that's going to mean a lot to her and her confidence going forward.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, my sister was at her first ever game, uh, football game full stop at the weekend at uh, the Spurs game. And I was explaining to her how... Um, Guru normally plays wide, but she was pushing in, and Neve Charles was creating space on the overlap to to go down there, and that's how both both goals came about. Um, I think that that position, that wing back position, is made for Neve Charles. It, it, it's it's her position, um, and she did she was the best player on the pitch for us, I think, on on Sunday. Um, Mia Official's goal, I thought the way she headed the ball and the way she moved, I thought was very kerr esque, which is um, a positive because it means you can play similar sort of ways. And yeah, she was so happy when she scored. I mean, the the smile on her face, she was absolutely delirious. But you can imagine a childhood Chelsea fan scoring a goal at Stanford Bridge. It's everyone's dream, isn't it? So,
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Matt, you know, first on Neve, you know, the fitness to do what she did in that game up and down, you know, for the whole game was, was superb. And then secondly, on, on the official, you know, her performance, what did you make of that? And... Yeah, you know, I always find it a bit suspect when people say I'm a childhood fan of the club they just signed for, but you know, she really was. Um no no doubts about that. We all would love to to be scoring that header, wouldn't we?
4: Yeah, I mean, starting with Neve Charles, I, I think it's it's a benefit of, again, of her not playing too much um with England in the international break. I feel she was a bit fresher, um, and she's not obviously this summer had as much tournament game time as others. Um And it showed. Um, I think she put in a fantastic performance. Again, someone that you could say similar to Drew Spence, doesn't get as much minutes as maybe she deserves, um, has to play in all sorts of different positions. But when she puts on the shirt, she always puts in the shift. And I think it was fantastic. And I think if anyone's from that team is almost trying to stamp authority on the next team uh, against City um, and getting in this team full-time... Neve Charles is trying to do that and she's the first name that Emma will look at and go, wow. Um, she Obviously, Emma knows, I mean, probably knows how good Neve is anyway, but um, I think even that might have shocked her a little bit. Um, with Mia, I think it was a very good debut. Um, you can't ask nothing more than to score at Stamford Bridge and I think many of the girls don't get that chance to have their debut at Stamford Bridge, let alone to score. Um, so I, I was proud of her to get her goal uh, and she did very well. You could see with Lauren particularly, the link-up was just phenomenal uh, considering they've not played much together at all. Um, you'd think they've been playing for the whole season. Um, obviously, as Emma kind of said, off the ball, I think generally most of the team, including Mia, probably that's where there needs to be improvement. But again, it's a it's a team that hasn't played with each other at all. It's, it's, it's a lot of changes, a lot of players coming in, a lot of players not here, a lot of the usual. So you can understand and almost... Yeah, you can understand that there might be a little bit of not as much work off the ball and some mistakes here and there. But um, yeah, I think general, in general, Mia's got a little bit more to improve on, but a fantastic debut.
2: Yeah, there was a couple of times having mentioned that, I think Lauren was sort of up with her. And then when the ball's passed, she's sort of turned and pointed to us and that's where you should be right now. Uh, and I think it's just getting used to the league, isn't it, as well? And, and the pace of, you know, the WSL and the physicality as well. But mm-hmm. she looks well set to be you know, a fantastic striker. And, you know, as you mentioned, Sophie, having not to change the way you play when you're changing your striker is very important. I think that's something we struggled with with Beth a little bit, that she couldn't do exactly what Sam could do. And not saying that as a clone of Sam, she's not, but she can do those things as well. Uh, as we saw with the header. So, you know, exciting times uh, for Chelsea, for sure. Uh, and the second half, Sophie, it was Chelsea really went up the gears, which sort of surprised me a little bit, the way they started that second half, and you would have had a great view of that.
3: Yeah, yeah, y- you could really tell they came out with a bit between the teeth. They were trying to win that game, sort of within the first 10, 20 minutes of that second half. Um, and the Guru Wrighton goal that wasn't a goal. Um, I mean, we could see where we were in the Matthew Harding lower. It looked like it was clearly over the line to us. Um, luckily it came back in and, and Lauren I thought Lauren had just knocked it in and then when I saw it on the replay I realised actually what a good goal it was how she, she placed it really well um, and yeah we just sort of carried on from there really that's that's the sort of football I expected um, from the start was that sort of high intensity pressure play through um, link up play but as you say you're not going to get it all the time because it's first game of the season international break they haven't had a chance to work on the combinations um, hopefully now with a week before City, we can we can build on on what we saw there. Um, but yeah, no, the, the the energy that they came out with in the second half, I thought, was phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I mean, talking about that right and goal, Matt, it was clear where I was in the East Stand that it was in. Uh, I don't know where you were sat for the game.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was unfortunately not at the game, so I was game, I, I was your armchair fan for the day. Um, but on the TV, it was clearly, and um, you could see it bright as day. Um, Obviously it's it's the thing that even though the goal line technology is there, we can't use it. Um, which I still don't understand. And I think if we really want to push the women's game forward, at least goal line technology should be involved, at least when it's there. Or if not, it should be in put into every stadium. But and, and that's where we can get the growth. Obviously, the AR is a different conversation after what's happened in the men's game this weekend. But uh, I think sometimes we might be glad not to have it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was as as Sophie said, it was a fantastic, fantastic goal. Um, And I can understand the team kind of being in and out of um, almost that high intensity. It's, as you said, it's a bit silly to have an international break a week before the season starts. Um, And you can see with every single game, not just Chelsea, but all the teams bar, or even City, to the point that, There was a period of high intensity, but there were periods where they just weren't at the right intensity. And I think every team will have that for the first couple of games. But I think it's important to get as many wins and not drop as many points on the board now um, while everyone's in that state.
2: Yeah, I will will say the VAR is good. The officials are bad. Um, So you get the right people watching. it. We should get the right decisions uh, at some point in the game anyway. Um, And so you mentioned the intensity... You know, going up and down, and perhaps nobody sort of epitomises that more than Lauren James. The way she plays the game, from you know standing still to all of a sudden bursting through three players, uh, she hit the bar, didn't she? In, the, in that second half early on, um, there's so many great players in this team, but you know, the early signs for me is that if we put this team around her, not only is she going to be fantastic, but we will be as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think. The next couple of seasons she really has the opportunity to make this her team. So for the last couple of years you could argue it's been Sam Kerr's team or Frank Kirby's team. I think now's the chance for Lauren James to make it her team. Definitely. She she's got the skill level, um, she's got the ability, she's got the she's building the mentality. Um so yeah, I think she she we we, we know she what she's just turned twenty two, she's only gonna get better. She's got what, four or five years before she probably reaches her peak. So um the fact that she's she's a Chelsea player and she wants to be at the club and she loves the club is just it's just brilliant
2: yeah and we'll we'll talk about this in part two, but you know having her at the club could be huge on what the club could do more uh, in terms of advertising you know and pushing these games, whether her personality wants to do that or not is probably another question to ask, but you know she could be the face of women's football not just in England but across the world you know especially after her World cup performances as well. Um, Now, Matt, after that performance in the second half, uh, Lon James gets the goal. The game felt done to me, uh, and probably to Chelsea as well, and to Emma Hayes, because it really turned when two things happened at the same time. uh, The first is obviously the goal from Tottenham. uh, And then there was a double substitution, which has already been put through to the fourth official, so they had to make the changes, uh, which was Wright and James off of Fleming and Lawrence. And I think that disrupted the team a little bit. And obviously Tottenham have got their goal, they've got their backs up. It made it for a bit of a nervy end when it probably shouldn't have been.
4: Yeah, I mean, you can understand 2-0 Tottenham while they were making chances. We seemed to deal with them quite well. And you can kind of understand Emma maybe looking to shut up shop a little bit. Um, But obviously, sometimes it's just unlucky that the goal happens exactly when you've made, already put the substitutions through, and as you said, there's nothing Emma can do about that to change it. So it's you just have to adapt. And I think to be fair to Lawrence and and that they, they, and Fleming, they come on and they they did their job. They didn't make too many mistakes, and they tried to keep it as secure as possible. So thankfully, it didn't cause us too much problems at all. Um, and even with the goal itself, as we've mentioned, it was just a bit of an unlucky goal um, to concede. Um, and Tottenham were kind of lucky enough to get it in the end. Um, they just had to be there in the right place at the right time. Um, so I think it's just the ca- almost karma and unluckiness all coming into that one moment um, to, for it all to connect together.
2: Yeah, I mean, not that there's ever a, 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 you know, a good time to concede, but that was really the time that Emma Hayes would have wanted at least when she's making changes yeah. uh, to the team. And if she if could have changed them, I, f- I think she would have done uh, but she made another change, Sophie, a bit later on. And that, I think, changed the tide of the game as well. And that was bringing on one of my favourite players, Jelena uh, Cankovic, who, for the brief period she was on the pitch, uh, which was longer than she probably expected with the... I think it was seven added on, one. not it? Um, she won the game. Yeah, she, she definitely brought an element of control. I think going
3: back to... Um... Going back a couple of substitutions. I also think when Melanie lurpols came on, I think she changed the game as well. I think she had a big influence and um, changed the game in a different way, um, controlled it. I think that helped Chelsea with the intensity and the way she played. She just seemed to find space um, in the attacking attacking half. But yeah, Chankovic when she came on, I thought she she allowed us to control the game again. She she put her foot on the ball. She 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 kept hold of the ball. She made the right passes. Um, she was buzzing around all over the place. Her and Frank Kirby were interchanging on that 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 whatever side it was attacking, right-hand side. Um, and she definitely made a difference. And as, as unfortunate her goal was offside, I'm not sure who was offside in, in the build-up or if it was her, but I thought she deserved that goal. Um, so it's a shame that that got ruled out as well. So, yeah,
2: she definitely made a difference. I forgot about her goal being ruled out, obviously funny how things, uh, I, didn't watch, I normally watch the highlights again to remind myself of what I've been to watch. Uh, it's you know, not been nine. on any of the highlights that I've seen, that, that uh, Cenkiewicz goal being ruled out.
4: I think on the extended highlights when I was watching it, again, it was, a th- It was I can't remember who it was, but someone was effectively blocking the goalkeeper a little bit. Um, I think it's one of those 50-50 decisions that I personally wouldn't have given it as a block for the goalkeeper. I think the goalkeeper could see it clearly, but it is what it is, and you can't, you can't change the decision now. But you, it would have been nice for Kankovic to get a goal because, um, as you said, she bossed the game and I don't think I've seen Kankovic not come on the field and not boss the game. I think she's a fantastic player and I'm happy to have her.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we as we know, you know the goal being disallowed didn't affect the final result. Uh, the first win on the opening day since we beat Tottenham at Stamford Bridge uh, in 2019. Uh, so a nice change to the start of the season and, uh, So, you mentioned that just a minute ago. Um it would be remiss of us not to mention the return of Frank Kirby to the team. You know, a great moment inside the stadium. She looked like a little bit like a player that hadn't played for quite a long time, understandably. Uh but, you know, great to have her back and if she can get anywhere near the level she was at before she got in, ill or injured, um, you know, again, what a string to the to the attack we've got there.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I was surprised she didn't start. I was expecting her to start. I must admit, um, she played what 60, 70 minutes against Roma. I know it was a month ago. Um, I assume they've been building minutes up, but yeah, what streams the bow? If she doesn't start regularly to bring off the bench. Uh, phenomenal player, and if she if she's even ninety percent Frank Kirby, then wow, we'll take that every day, and so will England. I think so. Yeah, and the the the, the Cheer she got when she came on the pitch was, was I think, the loudest cheer of the day, apart from the goals. So, um, everybody loves her,
2: and she's yeah, she's just she just makes such a difference to the team. Yeah, I mean, Matt, it's it's, it's weird to think that she weren't available for such a long time and we still were producing without her. Not that you forget how good she is, but you sort of Mm -hmm. maybe forget what a talent you have got because she's not been available. When she comes back, you're like, Oh, yeah, actually, we've got Frank Kirby.
4: Yeah, I mean, I always... Uh, I have a couple of friends that are unfortunately Arsenal fans and they'd always moan about, oh, Beth Mead's out, Meadham was out, this player's out, this player's out. I'm like, yes, but we, we we effectively had no Harder and no Kirby for basically the whole season. When one was fit, the other wasn't. Um, and they are special players. Um, and we coped about them pretty well because, we thankfully, we have a fair amount of depth. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait for Fran Kirby. I think every time... For me, every time she takes a step on that pitch, it's it's just she's just an inspiration for me, um, and I think she fully deserves the cheer that she got at Stamford Bridge. Um, I think every time she's on the pitch, I just think it's fantastic, uh, and I just want to see as much Frank Kirby as possible um, for however long she has as her career left.
2: Yeah, amen to that. Uh, and so, for the last player I want to talk about um, is the other debutant who started the game, Duskin. Uh, uh, who I thought was very neat and tidy uh, throughout her minutes on the pitch. A couple of times, I think, caught in possession. But, you know, that, again, you know, first game in a new league, in a new country, maybe to be expected. But I think she's a player that will complement the likes of Erin Cuthbert really well. And even someone like Jesse Fleming coming in that pivot as well. Um, I think a great signing we've made. Oh, yeah,
3: definitely a great signing. I mean, the Roma game when she came on, she was brilliant interesting is it seems to be a a contrast of opinion on on muskin's performance i i felt she did some stuff really well but equally i think she made a couple of tackles and also she won the ball and then the next touch she made was a tackle because she didn't control the ball when she won the ball so from that was from my viewpoint but when she did have time and space and when she moved with the ball thought she was superb um I think once she gets up to speed with WSL and works out partnerships with either Kirby or Ingle or Fleming or Kankovic or whoever else we can play midfield, we've got a very special talent there. Very special.
2: Yeah, Matt, what was your view um, of it? For me, it's what Sophie said it is right, but I think that yeah, is you know getting used to the league, maybe the, the speed of it, giving her that little benefit, the doubt, for the first game, but very impressive.
4: Yeah, I mean, similar to what you guys said. I mean, coming into the new league, and um, it's a big step up for her um and i think she did well in the most part um of course there's bits that to improve and it's a mixture of getting used to the new league and maybe not being at full, at full pace in terms of fitness as well um but and playing with players that she's never not really played with before so i think it's it, it it's a great sign and i can really see the potential um obviously there's bits to work on but i'm sure emma will drill her enough to get them mistakes out of her
2: yeah, I think that it showed why she picked Ingle to start alongside her, maybe just that little bit more experience and someone that could cover that space as she eventually did where Drew Spence was getting the ball uh, in the first half. And through the second half when um, the midfield sort of run the game um and snuffed out um sort of Tottenham's attacks, so to speak. Um now we did do our usual play out of the match poll after the game, uh Satura Muzovic and Lauren James both got eight percent of the vote. Uh, Mia official got sixteen percent, and the winner with sixty-eight uh, percent quite clearly was uh, Neve Charles. Uh, Sophie, I think you've already said that she was your player of the match, but agreement with that?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought Sophie played well as well, but I think Neve Charles definitely deserves to be player of the match. Um, so just going back to the debutants, I thought I, when Ashley Lawrence came on, she looked very steady very controlled um and i'm looking forward to seeing more of her play as well but yeah neve charles was definitely player of the match um although the official club one was unsurprisingly lauren james because that's who people vote for isn't it
2: so got the tv one as well actually that was right in front of where we sit um she got that one too but comes with the name i think i suppose lauren james sky sports player of the match um they want the interview don't they uh matt your thoughts
4: yeah, I mean, I, I picked Charles as well for a man match, uh, sorry, woman match. Um, I think she was fantastic overall. And I think she, it, it was more the, not the surprise, but it was a kind of a surprise of how well she played. We know she's a good player, but it's just a phenomenal p- p- performance. I think Lauren, she was just, don't be wrong, she did very well, but that's just standard Lauren. And that's almost, when you're that good a player, it's almost... Kind of like how in the men's with Thiago Silva, it just becomes normal. Uh, it's it's not it's no longer extraordinary. Uh, um, but yeah, I think I agree. I think I can understand people voting me official as well. Obviously, with the kind of a uh, childhood club scoring debut at Stamford Bridge, I can understand the kind of vote with that as well. But definitely, Neve Charles for me, man of the match, uh, woman in the match.
2: Yeah, for for me, Neve is one of those players. uh goes back to that clip from the documentary that always gets played, where. Emma says, if you don't get better, I'll just replace you. And you know, we brought in Ashley Lawrence, brought in, you know, Arise, you've got Jess Carter, who can play full back, you know, Marin as well, you know, and Neve is one of the players that don't really have a position. She just plays wherever Emma wants to pick her that week. Um, and, and to step up as she did, um, is fantastic. And I hope she gets her chance of England as Jess Carter did at the World Cup, uh, over the coming season, uh, and beyond. Um, we're going to go through a short break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, the attendance and what the future looks like for Chelsea FC women games at Stanford Bridge slash Kings Meadow. Uh, before we do that, a reminder that if the latest issue of Kings Meadow Chronicle, your Chelsea FC women fanzine, is out now and available to purchase online. Uh, Kings Meadow Chronicle is written by the fans for the fans and gives you an unedited fan view of the goings-on around the Chelsea FC women's team. Writers include Sophie Spill, who's with us now, uh, Simon Kingman, Harry Edwards, Rebecca Grasby, and many, many others Um, you can purchase your copy uh, reduced to just £1 plus postage at the moment at Uh, www.kingsmedochronicle.bigcartel.com and we will be right
0: Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home The same goes for McDonald's Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery You in? Order now on the McDonald's app At participating restaurants 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply See mcdonalds.com when you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? Follow online commentary? Listen to the radio? Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? Nord VPN have the solution to every football supporter's matchday problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com dot com forward slash chelsea fancast there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee and you'll help support the chelsea fancast the link is in the podcast episode description box back.
2: welcome back to Wentworth kings meadow uh, and what I want to focus on now in part two is the use of stanford bridge uh, the attendance and what comes next Um because so if you know it's been a few games now at stanford bridge the attendance for this one, the lowest of the lot, you know, just under 15,000. Um, Many obviously see that as disappointing and, and poor, but, you know, I think for me, it's better than 4,000 at King's Meadow. Um, and I think the players deserve more than, than what King's Meadow can bring us now. Um Just watch your overall you know, thoughts on the games being played at King's, uh, Stafford Bridge and the attendance for the game. I agree with you. I
3: think the players to play on bigger stages um i like king's Meadow. i like king's Meadow a lot i like the the fact i can stand <laughs> i like the the atmosphere it generates in such a small ground but i think slowly we are outgrowing it i'm not sure we're quite grown into stanford bridge yet for a variety of reasons um it may be the lowest we've had yet, but it's only, I would say it's only probably 10,000 less than the average or the most we've ever had at Stanford Bridge for the women. Because I know the official attendance was 38k for the Tottenham game last year, but there definitely wasn't 38,000 people in Stanford Bridge that day. It was more like 24, 25. So have we ever actually had more than 24, 25,000 fans watching Chelsea women at Stanford Bridge? I don't think we have. So if that's the sort of maximum 30 30,000 we're looking at even when we had free tickets in 1920 in yeah 1920 we only got about 24,000 turn-ups even though it was sold out so for whatever reason we can't seem to generate more sales than than that number um however 15,000 was disappointing i wasn't surprised because when i went on friday and saw what areas of the ground were still available for sale and that the shed wasn't even Opened up for sale. Um, I was surprised, slightly disappointed, but not surprised to see the attendance on the day. Um, I could go on and on and on um, about my thoughts on this, so I'll let you you jump back in and ask the questions, and hopefully my thoughts will, will answer the questions. So
2: yeah, we'll get into some more points definitely, Matt. I just want to get your overall you know, thoughts and feelings on, you know, a Chelsea playing at Stamford Bridge and b the attendance for this game.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm likewise. I think I'm kind of disappointed with the amount. Um, I think we can do better and should do better. Um, but it, it is, it is, it is. We should be playing in these big stadiums. It, it is to again to really push the women's game because Kings Meadow is it, great and it's um, it, it's great with the size. It, it, it's good, but as you said, we are we are starting to fill that out and um, possibly outgrowing it. Should there, people have talked about, should there be a compromise of moving to a small a bigger place permanently and then use the Stanford Stamford Bridge to almost bridge that gap? That could work, but then obviously you, you've got to figure that out of where to go um, and obviously what happens to King's Meadow after that. But I, I do think Stamford Bridge, as long as you can get a fairly decent amount, I mean, if you're getting below 10,000 at Stamford Bridge, then that's when you look at it and go, well, is is it really worth it for that? extra little bit um, especially with kind of costs of opening the stadium and operating the game itself um, but I think we should just try and get more um, personally I, I, I don't know I, it, it's a discussion of how we do that but um, I think there just needs to be more from both the club and the general Chelsea fan base itself
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the, the things that gets you thrown at Stamford Bridge is the atmosphere um, you know it wasn't really quiet for me on Sunday. You know, it, it wasn't the really typical everyone singing the same chants over the, you know, in all the stands. Um, but then a uh, men's match day, it's not like that either. Um, you get your small pockets of supporters that do chant. I suppose the more often you play those games, the more people sit in their, in their seats and become, you know, your season tickets where you sit for the season. That will build over time as well. And, you know, maybe there is, you know, a bit of a pain to go through at first. But it will become familiar to us, you know, once we've sort of had some time there. But uh, as Matt said, do you think we should be looking to to bridge the gap first between Kings Meadow and Stamford Bridge, or do you go for it with the hope that the club actually advertise games properly, uh, they get their pricing points right, and do the things right they can do, and then just use Stamford Bridge because we've got it. I think
3: we have to use Stamford Bridge because we've got it. I think where do you go? I don't think what plough lane is ten thousand, I don't think that's a big enough difference maker. Brentford possibly, but they use that game that stadium for rugby. Do we really want to go and play a Loftus Road? I definitely don't want to go and play a Loftus Road, it's horrible ground. Um but yeah, so I think I think we've got to use Stanford Bridge, but we've got to get it right. Um I think we need to stop comparing ourselves to the Emirates and to Arsenal because I think Arsenal went A couple of seasons earlier, Arsenal, as much as I hate to say it, have got a much bigger fan base. They've also managed to pick up a lot more neutral women's football fans, and I think that's probably a mitigating factor for for Sunday. Was there was a game at the Emirates at a much more uh, friendly time for people to get in and out of? So if you're a a more neutral women's football fan, you're only going to go to one game on Sunday. Chances are you would go to the Emirates to watch that game because it was a better time. and be- better pricing structure. Um, so I still think we should stick to Stamford Bridge, but the club have got to review. There's not nothing they can do about it now for the league matches, but they've got to learn, I think, for the Champions League matches. I think the, the pricing is too complicated. To have three tiers on each stand of pricing, I think, confused people and made it difficult. The most expensive seats in the Matthew Harding lower, because they front fill... behind the goal so basically if you bought the most expensive seats in the Matthew Harding lower you were restricted view for the whole game which is why we didn't sit there because I I obviously know the ground and I know that but I know there are a few people that are frustrated that they were effectively restricted view for having in theory what the best tickets in the Matthew Harding lower so I think I think the club have made a few mistakes I also think they've probably gone a, a, a season or two too early um they probably should have tried to build up a A Stanford Bridge fan base in terms of getting people used to going to Stanford Bridge and and learning the the ground and where they want to sit and that sort of stuff at a price that's less of a risk. However, I can understand why they've done what they've done because you've got to put a proper value on women's football. You can't keep undervaluing it because then it will permanently be undervalued.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, a a lot of good points in that. What I want to pick out, Matt, is go. is that sort of Arsenal comparison because they have obviously sold the Emirates out on, on a few occasions. Uh, 54,000, whatever it was, saw them lose 1-0 this weekend, um, which was nice. Um, but I think they were 13 pound 50 tickets across the stadium. So, no matter where you want to sit, you know you, the price of the ticket is the price of the ticket. Um, you know, Emma Hayes said it cost 300,000 to open the stadium. So, you know, if you do some quick maths, uh, it's Forty thousand tickets for seven pound fifty, or you try and sell twenty thousand at fifteen pound. Um, for me, they've overcomplicated themselves far too early with this pricing, and the opposite me was the west middle, which were fifty pound tickets, which was completely empty. So, buy a twelve pound one for Liverpool, and then wait five minutes and walk to the middle and sit in the best seat in the house uh, at quite a discount. You know, do you think do you think it's the club to blame more for the Smaller attendance, or you know, sort of. I don't want to compare that fifty-four thousand because obviously we don't have that many seats anyway. But the fact we haven't got that sort of twenty number is because of that, and maybe that's put people off. Or as Sophie said, you know, the neutral fans that are going to try the women's game after the World Cup are going to go to the early game at the Emirates for thirteen pound fifty.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the problem is there's not one mystical reason that is the sole problem of. Um in the stadium, I think I understand. I, I think the prices. I I, th- I don't think price, particularly as as the actual price itself, is a problem. As I th- as you said, I think the way and the complication of it is. I think where it puts people off. Um, I do I do think that again, you have as as the women' game evolves and gets better, it's natural that prices are going to increase. Um, but I, they're still going to be much cheaper then go into a men's game so for me that still was much about better value for money um obviously with the fact that the Emirates was used for um the World Cup uh, the Euros that I think has always been a big um aspect of all people have been to that stadium um and been around the Arsenal and and that and that has brought more people in I think um as you said, the, the Arsenal is unfortunately it's a nicer stadium, a more newer stadium, and people have gravitated to that more, the bigger fan base. And I do just think as well with our fan base, we do. I think we still have a problem of there are certain people who will just look at the men's game, but even will just not. It it doesn't. They don't look at the women's game. I think uh, the, what disappoints me is the fact that we were, Chelsea men were not even playing on the weekend. It was on a Monday night. It's in Fulham. It's. It's not like we've had to travel away, and people have not been able to go to one game or another. It, 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 there's the opportunity to go, and people still haven't gone. Um, I get that it's a later time in the day, but it's not the most ridiculous time in the world. Um, so I think I think there's between club, between players, between club and between fans. I think both sets need to do more, um, and I think they're together. That's the only way to really increase and get consistent crowds at Stamford Bridge.
3: I saw an interesting story going on sort of like the men's fan base uh, watching the women's team. I saw an interesting stat that I think came out at the end of last season that said that Chelsea actually had the highest percentage of men's team's fans watching the women's team than any of the other WSL games, which really surprised me. I was expecting us to be right down the bottom as it was the Arsenal, United even Liverpool to be much higher than us, but we had a high percentage of fans that also watched the men's team that came to watch the women's team. I can't remember where it came from, but it was it was quite a robust source. Um, so I think that there's last season anyway. Um, they were starting to move across, so I thought that was that was that was really interesting. It surprised
2: me. Yeah, it surprised me too because I was going to ask about you know is that the audience that the club should be looking to tap into. You know, ready-made Chelsea fans that love the club, follow the men's team, go week in, week out to Stamford Bridge. Could should we be looking to bring more of those over to the women's team? If it's at Stamford Bridge, are you offering things like loyalty points on their season tickets if they go you know, come to a game and actually use the ticket, not just buy it and then not turn up? Um, or do you think we should be looking outside of of that bubble for the next you know the next generation of women's football fans? Or maybe a combination of the both, So it's, it's difficult to know what route the club is actually looking to go down and what we should be looking to go down.
3: I think we should do a combination of both. I think there's there's an audience of, of women's football fans that is untapped out there um, that we need to attract. Um, I think how you attract them, I don't know. Arsenal seem to have done a very good job of that over the last two or three years, annoyingly. Um and now those fans now those fans are Arsenal fans. I think a lot of that is the type of player they sign, very marketable type of player. Whereas Chelsea tend to go for the quality of the player rather than the marketability of the player. I don't think there's any coincidence that Russo and Erps are two of the players that Arsenal have looked to sign. If you look at the the England team, they're two of the most popular players in the England team. Um, so I don't think there's as as Matt said, there's not one mythical answer to this. It's its a lot of things that the club have got to get right. And I think they're starting to get it right, but they haven't got enough of it right yet, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, doing the King's Men Chronicle, the Valentine and I'm outside the Fulham Road for, it was about an hour and a half, actually, before kick-off. Uh, so I see a lot of people coming through the Fulham Road from the, the tube station. Uh, a lot of people stopping to buy half-and-half half scarves um, which disgusts me, especially because they can't even take Chelsea on them because of the trademarks. It says C H E L S E and then the at sign S W uh, six. Why would anyone want that in the first place? But you know, a lot of people were buying them because it was their first game. They were talking to the stall holder saying, "Oh, I don't know what team I'm supporting yet," because um, they've decided just to come to this game because uh, it's in London. Um, and I was speaking to. Uh, Nathan after the game who he, he does the Chelsea Grave Society, uh, if you don't know on Twitter, uh, he works inside the club with the tours and you know, he said, you know, in, in the summer they're pushing, you know, seven, eight hundred people through a day, uh, doing stadium tours because they use the London pass. So they have a lot of people outside who come in to visit London, come to Stamford because it's close on the tube. These are the sort of, you know, little things that perhaps they should be linking towards these matches. Um if, if you've got a London pass and you're in London for a game, Chelsea are playing at Stafford Bridge, there's 50% off the price of your ticket. I mean, I suppose it's the bums on seats rather than, you know, the empty seat because, you know, as as me and Nathan said, Nathan said to me, every seat that isn't sold is is lost revenue. And, you know, we know the new owners are big on their revenue uh, and the money it costs and the money they get. Um, and as you said, Sophie, you know, it's you know, tapping into those new supporters' and keeping them. I don't feel like we're doing enough at all on, on that aspect. And we've got players I know you mentioned Arsenal players like Russo and uh, going for Erbs and they've got Leah Williamson, Beth Mead. Yeah, but we've got Lauren James, we've got Frank Kirby, you've got Millie Bright, the England captain. You know, these are the players, although it is a bit, you know, England centralised, um, we should be going after as, you know, only only place in London you can watch Champions League football this year is Stamford Bridge. You know Get that season ticket, you know, package, whatever it is they're selling. Uh, stupid things they've done this year, but you know, it feels like they've had up sort of half ideas and they're not followed through on them.
3: I also think there's, I think there's a lot there's a big international Chelsea women's fan base. So I think, like they do with the men's games, and they have all like the the, the sports breaks and that sort of stuff. Especially now we've got Mia official and Kat Macario tap into the American market. Somehow utilize that to get the international fans coming to the women's games, as well as or instead of, if you're not a men's fan, to the men's games. Because I mean, I sit in the West Lower for the men's games, and half of that stadium, half of that stand, is tourists, game in, game out. Um, so I think that the club need to do something to get those fans that live further away than the UK coming over to matches how I don't know so if I knew that I would go and work for the club but yeah I I think there's a a really untapped attendance potential there as well um in terms of trying to get um fans from abroad into the games as well
2: yeah uh, Matt I suppose you know when I I do the fan cast and we talk about you know that the people attending the men's games and the club are wanting those people that are going to go to the ground early, they're going to go in the mega store. They're going to spend the money, then go in the ground early and spend more money. In the women's game, you know, such a high percentage of, of fans are like that because they've got their young kids. They're going in the mega store. They're spending money. They're doing everything that the club wants. It just feels like if they don't maximise Stafford Bridge as an opportunity for that, you know, then the, the, the team and the club are missing out loads when we should be sort of the front-runner in, in the country for how you prepare, you know, your main club stadium to play, which for Chelsea is the best Chelsea team that you've got right now is your women's team. Uh, not many other clubs can say that. Um, but again, you know, like Sophie said, we don't have the answers. us the club would bring us up and ask us to go down there. It's all out for them. But, you know, what ideas have you got around sort of that aspect of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's...
4: It, it is very hard. I mean, I mean, I think the intention, particularly from the owners, I, th- I feel is it is there. Um, and with with the new um, gym facilities that are now recently been posted, it's another plus sign for just the women's game, uh, women's team overall. But I just feel sometimes it, it's it, it's not followed through as, as well as it should be. Whether it's just a little bit of incompetence, still trying to learn how to. Run a club. Um, mistakes are being made, but I, 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 do, I do think that they they do need to tap into what you've already got at Stamford Bridge. I mean, I, I just look at it the fact of what, what would you rather see? What would you rather watch a Chelsea men's team with no passion whatsoever lose near enough every week? Or would you rather go watch a winning mentality team for half the price um, winning four title, eight titles in a row? I, I, I think. We, they, they, I think it's good. You you always see when you were at Stamford Bridge, on the boards, it's always ab- trying to advertise the women's the women's games, particularly the ones at Stamford Bridge. And I think that that's a plus sign because it at least puts it not just on for the fans at the ground, but for the fans watching on TV. Hey, there's the, the, the there is women's games at Stamford Bridge at this time, which I think is good. I think more, I think social media is the one area where I feel like it's still not advertised as much. Um, obviously, they use the Chelsea women's account and then the Chelsea men's retweets it. But sure, I, I think it would be better followers-wise to just post it on the Chelsea men's side as well as an actual post itself. Um, I think more could be done there, especially for, as Sophie said, more international fans, which we will be more on Twitter and will look and get their advertisement from Chelsea from there. Um I think they just the club need to attack it at all angles um, and provide just a family-friendly occasion at Stamford Bridge. Um, I think they do well with giving the flags out and stuff like that. Um, it's obviously already something the kids can take home if they want to. Um, but I think just trying to make Stamford Bridge just family-friendly for the games as well um, and less confusing. I think get definitely make make the game less confusing to get to and to buy tickets for, and more people will come.
3: I think they need to get the men's players more involved. I mean, Rhys James writes about a, a column in the men's programme every week as the club captain. The first two columns, he mentioned the World Cup and he mentioned Lauren. The two columns leading up to this game, no reference to the game at all. Surely that was a been an ideal opportunity for them to publicise the game, would be to get Rhys to say, oh, next weekend, no men's games, won't you come down or the women are playing at Stamford Bridge? things like that. I know the Arsenal men have got, there's quite a few of them that are on social media and they're sort of interacting with the women's players and and publicising the game. So I, I don't know if there's something around getting the men's teams, players um, more involved in in getting down to, to, to getting fans down to the games as well. Well, if there's something around there, possibly, I don't know.
2: Yeah, whether he writes that column though. Uh, although, I suppose if it is the in-house, then it makes it even more... Really and much. as I say,
3: the first, the first two, first two columns, he referenced the women's World Cup and how well they did, and and Lauren and how well she did. So, and then suddenly the games coming up, as I said, and nothing. So that just seemed a missed opportunity to me there, definitely.
2: Yeah. Well, as we've been talking, um, Chelsea have released the tickets on sale for the Stamford Bridge fixtures against Liverpool, Man United, and Arsenal. Um, and they've also said how many tickets they've sold, which was the first, I think, for Chelsea. Uh, more than six thousand five hundred already for Liverpool, uh, and if you follow through with the link, Sophie, you can buy tickets. Uh, in the Matthew Harding end for fifteen pound. Uh, or I've lost it now. Let's go through it, and then I can. I can read it out properly. Uh, the West Stand, the East Stand, lower, uh, twenty pound. Uh, but again, you know, if the West Stand is is twenty five. Twenty-five pound, thirty-five pound, or, or fifty pound, and you know, as was, I thought they might have changed that, but it seems like they're going to stick with that format. For I think games. they've
3: got to stick with that format because they've sold the packages in that format. So if you've already bought those tickets for those prices, they can't then change the prices going forward. Yeah. I think. I think the interesting thing will be to see what they do for the Champions League prices. But the interesting thing for me is that west lower middle section, that's where I'm lucky enough to have a season ticket at the men's game, uh, for the men's games. And my men's season ticket works out as less than £50 a ticket. And I'm not sure what the general price is for that area, but it's not that much more than £50, I don't think. So effectively in that area of the ground, they're charging the same amount as they would do for a men's game, which I think is quite an interesting... uh, way of looking at it but as you said dean why would you do that why would you just pay the 25 quid from the sides and then just go and sit in those seats when they're empty during the game
2: yeah well and that's the side that the tv camera's on as well um obviously looking towards that very section is probably the most filmed bit of, of, of the yeah. pitch and uh what it it was mostly empty uh on sunday um but Matt, what I was pleased with with the tweet is if they told us how many tickets they've sold, uh, and I think the club talking to us is always a good thing.
4: Yeah, I think transparency is always a, always a good thing. Um, telling us how much they've sold, what they've done, um, and how they're doing, and how, and how they're doing. I think that's something we sometimes like to know. Um, we don't get to see, but any transparency is always good.
2: Yeah, and the other thing, Matt. I suppose when you go on for that Liverpool fixture and this is not the club's doing, it is the 18th slash 19th of November, which is just over a month away, probably six weeks, isn't it? You know, if you're planning to come to that game, one, you don't know what day it's on, and two, you don't know what time it's kicking off. And, that, and that's an issue that probably the WSL needs to solve more than Chelsea.
4: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think there's, it's, sometimes it's not even Chelsea's fault uh some of these issues. It is WSL. you um, in these sort of situations, you need to get their act together and just at least figure out what day it is on. Never mind the time; just get a, get a day sorted, and then you can figure out the time later. Um, it's just frustrating, but it won't it, it won't change until people make a fuss about it.
2: Yeah. So, so if you do, you think six weeks is enough time to sort of be saying we should know what day this game's on.
3: Yeah, isn't that the re- regulation that they have to announce the TV fixtures? I know it's definitely, they're supposed to do it in the men's game, aren't they, six weeks in advance? Because that's when the, t- that's when the trade companies release their tickets, is six weeks in advance. So therefore, the TV fixtures should be announced six weeks in advance The so fans can effectively buy the most e- f- price-effective train tickets because they're the ones that get released early. But I don't think the Premier League stick to that, unfortunately. And I think the WSL is even worse, so...
2: Yeah, again, not nothing the club can do uh, in that regard. Um, So we're not picking them for that, of course. And just before we wrap up, because we've obviously spoken a lot about what the club are doing, what they're not doing. Uh, Sophie, are you for or against using Stamford Bridge?
3: For, definitely. Not for every game, not yet. But for the the big games, um, definitely for it. As you say, 14,000 at Stamford Bridge is better than 4,000 at Kings Meadow. It means 10,000 fans have gone to watch Chelsea women play that wouldn't have got to see them at Kings Meadow. And going back to Reading last game of the season, everyone said it was a shame we won the game away. I actually disagree with that because there were what, 5,000 plus Chelsea fans in, in the Reading ground that, that day? That's more fans than would have got to have seen us win the title at Kings Meadow. So I think any way to get Chelsea, more people watching Chelsea women play, the better. But as Matt said, I don't th- I think if we're getting under 10,000 at Stamford Bridge, it's, it's, you rattle around and it's probably not worth it. But anything above fourteen, fifteen thousand, 15,000, it didn't feel empty to me on Sunday. It, I think because everyone was grouped in the same areas, it didn't feel too empty. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely four.
2: Yeah, no, there was a good buzz around the stadium, and I mean, you know, when it goes quiet, so you can hear the players talking. Uh, and I was pretty close to the bench, and I, only a couple of times you did, but that was probably because of how close I was was to them. Uh, yeah, Matt, I'll ask you the same question. You know, for or against, you know, Chelsea playing at Stamford Bridge?
4: Oh, def- definitely for. I think for as as it, well. So we've got to play Champions League games there, which I think is a good thing, and. Thank you for you effort to actually put something through that actually seems lo- reasonable and logical. Um, but I think every big team, whether it's Liverpool, whether it's Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, um, we should be we should be trying to get as many of them games as possible at Stamford Bridge, um, or likewise at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, at the Emirates, um, at Anfield, at Old Trafford, um, because the more and more you do it, the more people realise, oh, I can actually get a ticket to Stamford Bridge, I can go to Stamford Bridge. And the, the more you do it, the more people will come. Um, obviously, you've got to get the procedure of how to advertise it right. But once you do, then the numbers will come um, because the game is growing and there is, fan, there is a fan base there. You just need to tap into
2: it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote in you know, the front cover of King's Meadow Chronicle, is, you know time to say goodbye and a picture of King's Meadow. Uh, and I wrote in my sort of editor's notes, um You know, that Chelsea play at Stamford Bridge, and, you know, for me, Chelsea women are Chelsea, uh, just like Chelsea's men's team, so I think they should play there too. And, you know, maybe they could look at what Arsenal do with their pricing for the sort of lesser game, so to speak, you know, when you're playing, uh, you know, your Brightons and your Leicester Citys, if the whole ground's £15 a ticket, you might still sell out all the bottom of Stamford Bridge and you still have a decent atmosphere without the tops being open at all. Uh, and as you say, familiarity, you know, you know, breeds that over time, and and it will come, uh, just like it has, you know, in the in the men's game, you know, they've had those years, um, with four stadiums because you know, people have been season ticket holders for for many many years. I think Chelsea's one of the oldest average age, season ticket holders because they've been there for so long, and you know, the the women's game will obviously follow that as as the time goes on. Uh, I just want to shout out the supporters trust who brought 100 tickets for this game uh, and gave them out. Um, But for many young girls, uh, I think around Chelsea and the area, I'm not 100% sure uh, on that, but I know they brought 100 tickets and gave them out. Uh, It's a fair play to them. And a shout out for Lindos for giving us free yogurts and cheap coach travel. Um, Deserves to mention, I think. Uh, Sadly, that is all we've got time for this week uh Sophie thank you for for joining us again on our first show back
3: as always thank you for having me
2: yeah and Matt thanks for um dropping out of work to join us straight on from work as well more effort than I put into the show it's my show
4: well, It it's a pleasure to come on and happy to come on uh for many more times in the future
2: Absolutely. Uh, now remember, you can follow the show on Twitter at Mo Kings Meadow, Instagram at went to Mo Kings Meadow. Uh, I'm at Dean Mears. Sophie is at Traveller74. and Matt is at MattJBall98. Is that right? I didn't actually check that. Yeah,
1: that's that's correct.
2: That's good. Um, we will be back next Tuesday, joined by Simon Kingman uh, to look back at the Man United match. Uh, so look out for that. Uh, and finally, before we go, a huge thank you to everyone who donated to the Future Ball Hers campaign. I was lucky enough to meet a few of the girls on Sunday who were so happy with their boots, and no matter what your donation, it made a huge difference to young uh, to 18 young girls across the country uh, receiving their boots. Uh, we are still accepting donations to pay off the rest of the bill, um, so if you would like to support future ballers, uh, you can do so via PayPal using kingsmeadow at gmail.com. Uh, and if you love the show and what we do and want to help support us, you can sign up to a Patreon season ticket for just £5 a month and help the show continue producing content that you enjoy if you head to www.patreon.com forward slash went to Mo Kingsmeadow until next time thanks for listening from Stanford Bridge to Wembley keep the blue flag flying high.
0: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: Hold up.